And welcome into another edition here on 760 WJR of Gridiron Rap. And in case you were not listening to the news at the top of the hour here, you know it's a big thing when the national newscasts are mentioning a game coming up tonight. And yeah. Bill Keenest, <laughs> yeah. um, listen, the schedule makers have mm-hmm. a unique sense of humor, do they not? Wow. What a coincidence that Tom Brady finds himself in a position to pass Drew Brees tonight yep. in Foxborough. What a crazy coincidence that is, huh, Bill? It, it really is. And kudos to uh, the uh, the men and women of the NFL that put the schedule together. I, I happen to know them and work with them in my new role. And it's a Herculean task, to say the least. It's not all computerized, as some might think. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, blood, sweat, and tears maybe that go into that. But when you think about the national games that um, the league has had through the first four weeks of the season, uh, perhaps topped off by tonight, which a lot of people, Sean, are predicting will be potentially the highest rated regular season game in NFL history. And in today's world, um, the higher ratings, you know, I mean, that was decades ago when there weren't as many opportunities as there is today for uh, entertainment, if you will. But if uh, if the game gets close to that, uh, you know, I mean, and it probably will, because, you know, we, we always say the only true um you know, real, real life soap opera is the NFL. The only true reality show is the NFL or sports uh, for that matter, all sports, but, but certainly within the NFL and especially for a game like tonight. You know, I obviously I want to talk about the lines and what transpired today and and something that Bill and I were both talking about. I mean, um, generations have a different team, a different rival. And, and, you know, for the lions for the longest time, Mm-hmm. who's been their rival? I will yeah. ask you guys and Bill and I will share our thoughts, but you brought up something and I, I want to stay right there for a second. What people don't understand. And I, I'm using me as an example. I mm-hmm. did not understand until I got into this business and then years into the business, when I got a, a closer look, whether it be doing the TV down at Ford field or doing radio at Ford field, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, how much goes into the game day. And you mentioned So many of the behind the scenes people Mm -hmm. that we don't even know about, but game day operations and so many Mm -hmm. things that go on week in, week out in the National Football League. And as another reason why I bring this up is you were a part of that down in Cincinnati this past weekend. Yeah, I I was uh, fortunate to work the uh, Jacksonville Bengals game. Uh, for the NFL as the national game rep. And you're working with the the green hat referee on the field, the TV truck, the uh, producer, director, associate director, just to make sure all the commercials get in when you take them, when you don't take them. Um, but it was wonderful being back in that environment again. The stadium was packed, and it was a wonderful game. I mean, it went down, obviously, to the last play. And those two young quarterbacks, Sean, Oh my goodness! Uh, they are they are the future of the of the league. Boy, are they impressive! And uh, Trevor Lawrence really showed me a lot uh, in that game for for a rookie. And Joe Burrow, only in his second year, you know, led the team to the winning points when it counted. And then the neat thing for me, and you can relate to this too, because over the years, when in our previous roles, you know, we get to the stadium early, we leave late. 
we got work to do. There's never any traffic, which is nice, but it's two or three hours after the game ends. Well, in my role, I'm basically done when the broadcast signs off, when the game's over. And I was actually staying at a hotel across the river in Covington, Kentucky, where a lot of fans stay. I mean, it's essentially Cincinnati. And, um, and so I exit the stadium and I had decided to walk. I was going to walk after the game just to get some fresh air and, and uh, wake up a little bit. I suppose uh, it was a long day, but everybody's exiting the stadium at the same time. And there were almost 99% Bengal fans, as you would expect. And they were so happy. Uh-huh. They're singing. It's like what you see, you know, fan bases going into a soccer game. You know, who day, who day, who they think going to beat them Bengals? And everybody's cheering and happy and smiling. And then uh, there's a pedestrian bridge that crosses the Ohio River. And we're all on that bridge walking across. And it just, it just, you know, underscored and reaffirmed what we've talked about the first couple of shows. You know, how important sports are to a community, you know, at every level. Even in the NFL, you have you have fans that just live and die with their teams. And to sort of be caught up in that after the game uh, was really kind of neat because we don't get a chance to do that that often. No, no. Bill, I always bring this up. I, I don't know if you and I have ever had this conversation, but our mm-hmm. mutual friend Tom Kowalski loved yeah. it. When I told this story, um, 2009, I used to, back in the day when my son was younger, I would always take one game where I said, I'm going to do TV, and then the rest of the day, I'm just dad. I'm going to the game. Uh And in 2009, we went to that, as you well know, that famous game against Cleveland where Stafford's the shoulder and everything. And and I'll tell you what, the celebration in the the stands that day, it didn't matter that that was their second win of the year. It right. didn't matter no. that it was their last win of the year. No. It didn't matter that, uh, you know, a year earlier they went 0-16 <laughs> and they were about to go 2-14. Yeah. Yeah. That moment, that day, yeah. especially being there with my son and his friends, it, it was – I'm serious. It was one of my favorite memories because it was – those kids were so excited yeah. and there were 50,000 of their mm-hmm. friends at yeah. that game that were just so excited because yeah. the Lions won a dramatic game against a bad team. It didn't matter if they had the didn't two matter. best teams in the league or the two worst teams in the league. That's right. It was, it's special. I don't care what anybody says. It's a right. special, special thing. And that's something you and your son will talk about for years. And, and the uniqueness of that game, I mean, that's a historical game in many respects because um, of the wire uh, that Matthew wore during that game. And Steve Sable, God rest his soul, who uh, went into the Hall of Fame, um, NFL films. He, he has said, he had said repeatedly that that was the greatest wire they did in their history. Oh. I mean, that that's up there pretty high. And I'll, I'll give you a little backstory on that, Sean, if I might. Yeah. So um, as part of the, uh, the, you know, the NFL films arrangement with the league and with all the teams, uh, head coaches and quarterbacks, at a minimum are, are wired at least once or twice a year. So with Matthew, of course, being the number one pick that season, you know, I knew NFL films would, you know, want to, want to wire him. We wanted to wire him. So they came to me early in the season and I forget who we were going to play, but I didn't have a good feeling about the game because in a perfect world, right, Sean, if we can script this stuff, Okay, we want it to be in a win. We want it to be a last second comeback for the ages, right, Scott? Sean? So, so I uh, I made up some 
sort of true excuse. Well, that game's not going to work. Okay. So then we moved on and then they picked another game. And I think it was the week, just the week before Calvin gets hurt. And I, I came up with another excuse. I'm not going to have Matthew wired in a game where Calvin's not playing. So I told them on Monday and they were not happy with me at all. So I told them, we'll do the Cleveland game. And Cleveland was having a rough year, but I thought we had a chance, right? I thought we had a chance. I said, we'll do the Cleveland game. So wouldn't you know, and then, and then being the PR guy, I guess, you know, you can't ever get that out of you as the game's the clock's winding down. I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, he's wired. This is going to be classic. And then sure enough, you know, what happened happened and it was magical. And, and, you know, I know there was a lot of talk last week about the timeout that, that Dan took, you know, on the, on the last series um, for the Ravens. Well, as you may remember, and this just made the, the wiring and the filming even more dramatic Matthew throws that pass PI in the end zone, which you hardly ever have on a, on a Hail Mary. I mean, you hardly ever, but it was truly PI and his shoulder goes out. So he has to get helped off the field. They have to call a timeout, which means he has to miss a play and he's laying on the sidelines and they're working on him. And Eric Mangini calls the timeout mm-hmm. and Matthew and some of it was edited i believe <laughs> told everybody get off of me i can go back in i can go back in i can <laughs> and he goes to um uh, scott lenahan and says i can throw the ball i can throw the ball i mean you can't script it any better oh. you can't script it and so he goes in throws the touchdown pass and uh, to uh to Pettigrew, and you know he comes off the field it's out it's out my my shoulder's out and it it will live for the ages. It so, was it was, yeah. and, and I'll tell you what, Bill, being there, I didn't know any of that. When you got home, yeah. it grew even yeah, it by more Titanic yeah. proportions. It really yeah. did. And it and, was... and and one other thing, I remember, um, we get in the locker room, and it was euphoric. I mean, yeah. we had seen something special. Everybody understood and agreed to that. And uh, I guess you know maybe maybe there's a little bit of. Um, I don't know, grasping the moment, if you will. But Matthew and I talked afterward and I said, I want you going in to do the press conference just the way you're dressed. I don't want you getting cleaned up. Now, provided that the trainers allowed us to do that. Sure. Because sure. to me, I want more people than just his teammates to see what this young man went through. And uh, so he went in, you know, with the shoulder wrapped and everything. And uh, and then we, we did his press uh, media session after the game. Can't believe it was 12 years ago. Oh my gosh. That just, is incredible. It seems, it yeah. seems like yesterday. Yeah. We'll yeah. talk a little bit about uh, what transpired today. Uh, talk about rivalries as well. Yeah. Cause I, I have a theory about rivalries. I think they're mm-hmm. generational and we'll explain it when we come back. Yeah. He is Bill Keenis. I'm Sean Belegian. You're listening to the Gridiron Wrap right here on 760 WJR. All right, quickly before we get into some lion chatter, always like to keep people up to date with what's going on. Ravens are on top of the Broncos 23-7 to in the waiting moments of that one. Looks like the Broncos are going to lose their first game of the year. The Packers have a 27-17 lead over the Steelers. 3.45 to go at Lambeau. Seahawks hang on to knock off the Niners 28-21. The Cardinals improve to 4 and 0 with a 37 to 20 victory over Matthew Stafford and the Rams. Uh, Stafford did his part, however, 26 of 41, two touchdowns and 280 yards. Uh Rams 
fall to three and one. Of course, earlier today, the Lions fall to zero and four. They lose to the Bears at Soldier Field. And one of the things that Bill and I wanted to touch on is um, my generation, Bill. I grew up in a day and age where, and I've admitted this. I told Joyke Bell when he went to play for the Bears. Mm-hmm. I can't stand the Bears because I envied the Bears. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Absolutely. I watched the Bears in yeah. the 80s yeah. get this brash coach by the name of mm-hmm. Mike Ditka yeah. and, and become a powerhouse. Right. I'm still surprised they only won one Super Bowl, but they yeah. were they were the measuring stick when I grew yeah. up. So for me personally, right. I couldn't stand the Bears, whereas my son and his generation – they all hate the Packers. They yeah. think that, you know, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is the yeah. spawn of Satan. Oh, I mean, all of that stuff, you know, I mean, it's stuff that fans do yeah. and everything. But Lions, Bears, and your time uh, working with right. the Lions and your time with the NFL, that was always a special game, whether it was at the Silverdome, yeah. whether it was at Ford Field, and certainly right. at Venerable Soldier Field. Absolutely, Sean. And and when I first joined the Lions, that was 85. That was the year of the Bear. <laughs> and, um, you know, there are only have been a couple times that I can recall looking at the opponent and not necessarily, I mean, obviously I'm not playing, but you could still feel the tension, you know, in the air. And uh, it, they were intimidating. They were absolutely intimidating when they walked down that tunnel. And um, in the first game, uh, the first year rather uh, with them, we played the final game of the season uh, in the Silverdome, sold out, and that was the game Wilbur Marshall hit, uh, sacked Joe Ferguson, got him right under the jaw, knocked mm. him out cold. And um, I think Refrigerator Perry picked up the fumble, and David Lewis, a tight end, I believe, uh, finally caught up with him without uh, without him scoring a touchdown. But the Bears had that aura. I mean, and I think it was the characters of the team. And you had the extremes. You know, Mike Ditka was an absolute character. And, um, and the one thing I'll never forget, as will most of America, um, our, our great season in 91, um, we, we, we went in Buffalo on Sunday. And if San Francisco can beat Chicago on Monday night, right? We win the division and we get a bye. And the one thing I remember is I think on the plane ride home from Buffalo, whatever I'm calling, I guess it would have been ABC in at that time. I I'm pretty sure it was ABC saying you guys, we're going to have a team event at that. Remember the main event restaurant oh, yeah. in the Silverdome. Yeah. That's where Wayne had his Monday night show yep. with Mark champion. And so, and, and it was packed that year every monday night they would keep expanding the banquet room you know taking out the portable walls so they could get all the fans in there so here we are um monday night if san francisco wins uh we're gonna finish in first place get a bye for the playoffs and the 49ers had a rough couple rough losses that season a hell mary loss i think it was to atlanta just some inexplicable games they were a really good team um, and they probably had something to, to show on Monday night that uh, that that evening. And they rolled the Bears. They rolled the Bears. So after, like I said, a lot of arm twisting during the day, ABC agreed to send a live camera to the event. And, of course, Wayne Fonts being Wayne Fonts, right? So <laughs> when the game gets out of hand and it's basically a done deal, Wayne sits back 
pulls out the biggest cigar you've ever seen in your life. He knows he's on camera. He knows the whole country's seeing him. And he lights that thing says, ah, thank you, 49ers. <laughs> and I'm sure Mike Dicker was watching that. And Mike wasn't, you know, too happy with that. So when you think about the characters in that era, Mike Ditka, Jim McMahon, oh, my goodness. And then the other extreme, Walter Payton, you know, one of the, the best people players ever right? Historical franchises, the Hallis family, the Ford family, all those factors go in. So yeah, early, early on to me, it was the bears. The Packers weren't that good in the, in the mid to late eighties, the Vikings were up and down. They, they were always competitive. Um, I remember, you know, and talking about the intimidation of the bears. I remember it, it might've been earlier that year. It could have been 86. We went into Chicago, into Soldier Field, and our O-line was really banged up. And we had to sign a guy, I think, on Thursday or Friday. And, Sean, he ended up starting. His name was Ray Snell. He was a guard from Tampa, had played in Tampa. I think he went into that game weighing 230 pounds. That's no exaggeration. And it was just a manhandling. But then as the, the decade, you know, went on um we got better and better and then we were toe-to-toe with them and we had some classic games we had some just i mean the uh, the 92 opener after this wayne lights the cigar game um that was the game that barry had that highlight run where he gets spun around behind a a, a pack of players comes off the pile and goes for a touchdown yep. in the last minute of the game but but the bears ended up coming back Jim McMahon throws, I think it was Jim, uh, not Jim McMahon, Jim Har- uh, Harbaugh throws a touchdown pass. That I think it was Tommy Waddle. Last play of the game, they beat us by a point. But so many games like that, um, you know, over the years with the Bears, uh, during that era especially. Great memory. I, I, yeah. I That was such a dagger in my heart to start the 92 season. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Bill, I want to go back to the Thanksgiving Day game beforehand in, in 91 yeah. it is one right. of my favorite games ever because of the reasons that we spoke right. of the big bad bears came yeah. into town and the lions out the bears on that thanksgiving yeah. day game and i just <laughs> I, i'm not gonna lie to you my friends and i we were waiting for the other shoe to drop we were at the dallas yeah. game a couple yeah. weeks earlier where they pounded dallas right. and then the horrible situation with mike utley happened yeah. and you were wondering aloud you know which direction is this team right. going to go yeah and and they showed everybody what they were playing for and what they were all about by punching the bears the way they did in the mouth that thanksgiving day i'll yeah. never forget that in 91 never no that was uh that was a magical day certainly sean and and go back four days five days prior to that we play at minnesota it's our first game without mike and barry runs wild barry put the whole team on his back had four touchdowns, 220 yards, um, just some of the classic, I mean, Barry Sanders runs. So now we got the Bears on Thanksgiving, short week, Madden and Summerall, the whole the whole thing. And, uh, I mean, that was an incredibly emotional win at Minnesota, as you would expect, because of what you just said. You know, until you know, you don't know how yep. a team's going to react to something like that. So we're coming back on the plane from Minnesota and I'm starting to, you know, pre- prepare for the CBS crew coming in and the short week and production meeting is that this, that, and the other. And I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> um, I had an idea. So I wrote out a short speech, um, for Mike Utley 
And the thought was, and I went right to Lomas. He was the only one. I said, Lomas, um, what about reading this uh, to Mike before the opening kickoff? And he loved it, of course. And um, so the idea was, I knew CBS would love it. I mean, that's that's drama at the highest in our sport, right? Mike's in a hospital room, paralyzed, and now you're going to greet him, right? And the whole country is going to share in that greeting, essentially. So, um, you know, wrote the speech out on an on a napkin or something on the on the plane. I just I don't know why I, but I just remember that. Um, and gave to Lomas and, you know, he was all with it. CBS loved the idea. I know we had to get approval from the league. I don't think they could say no to something like that, sure. even though it wasn't consistent with the normal pregame timing. And I, I thought, you know what? The Bears probably won't like this. Not that they weren't compassionate, you know, regarding Mike's injury, but the the, the expectation was that the crowd is going to go absolutely nuts. And that's exactly what happened. Loma started, hey, Mike, we know you're listening. We want you to know you're a bigger part of this team right now as you've ever been. Love, thank you for your strength and your inspiration. We love you, Mike. Thumbs up, Mike. Blah, blah, blah. The place. You were there, Sean. I was it there. Erupted. It was unbelievable. And then, and then I don't think the crowd stopped cheering. We got the opening kickoff. Mel took it like Mel Gray took it like 50 yards to set the stage for that game. We scored on that opening drive and you're right. We punched them in the mouth that day. And, awesome. uh, and that set the the stage. We didn't lose the game the rest of the regular season. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. Hey, we're up against a break. I do want to ask you about one of the moments and, and you know, yeah. talk about, you know, the, the, the whole rivalry thing. If you ever got the feeling yeah. that there was a, a rival for the lines, but yeah. I want to get your thoughts on one of the more, well, how can I put it? Infamous moments. The take the wind game oh, yes. in okay. Chicago. I yeah. got to get, because I know you were right. there. I'll yeah. get your thoughts on that. Who yeah. can forget that one? Right. He's Bill Keenest. I'm Sean Belage. And this is the Gridiron Wrap on 760 WJR. Mm-hmm. You know, Bill, I was just thinking during the break, uh, we're going to have to maybe do one of these a week because there are moments with some of the coaches during your tenure that have been so debated, hotly contested and debated, <laughs> yeah. whether it be Bobby Ross in the two-point chart, we ain't scared, challenge flags. Um, But take the wind was one of those moments Mm -hmm. that – and and I'll say this. Marty Morningwig was such a nice guy, always liked Marty, always, Mm -hmm. always liked Marty. And Mm -hmm. obviously there's a reason he stuck around the league as long as he did as a coordinator. The man knew his stuff. But Mm -hmm. you kind of had a front row seat for that, didn't you? Yeah, sure did. Uh, And, of course, there's always a backdrop to every game. I mean – uh, that was the Sunday before Thanksgiving, right? So we're going to have a, the, the nation's eyes upon us in a few weeks uh, on Thanksgiving Day, or a few days on Thanksgiving. And we were in the midst of what would become an all-time NFL road, consecutive uh, road losses. Okay, so we had a chance to break that record that day. And the game was at Memorial, was at Memorial Stadium at, at the University of Illinois because mm-hmm. Soldier Field was getting renovated. The new Soldier Field was being constructed. And so the game's uh, on a college campus, a smaller stadium, but intimate, you know, and, and the University of Illinois is, I think it's in the middle of nowhere because it's just flat land for as far as you can see. And consequently, um, as the game started and the weather front, came in from Siberia or wherever it came in from, the wind started picking up and picking up and picking up. 
And I do not remember any game where the wind was like it was that day. It was, it was incredible. And so just some, probably some forgotten or unknown, you know, facts about that game. Um, there were uh, probably six or seven scoring drives in that game. And I, the, the bears, I believe scored first and they scored uh, going against the wind, but every other play in that game, every other um, score in that game was with the wind. So the wind was a factor either, you know, unknowingly or just, you know, in reality, it was a factor. And we were leading in that game 17-7. I remember late in the third quarter, early fourth quarter, um, Jim Miller ended up coming in off the bench to replace the Bears starting quarterback, you know, Waterford's Jim Miller, Michigan State's Jim Miller. Um, and he's leading the Bears back. And on what could have been, should have been the Bears' final drive in regulation, it was a fourth down. We stopped them game over we're going to run the clock out and win the game okay we're we're up by i think three at the time and fourth down jim miller gets the shotgun snap goes back robert porsche our pro bowl defensive end beats the tackle and he is coming right at jim and and sean jim miller as he's going out of his out of the pocket slips he goes, he slips, falls, right on the turf. Robert runs right, right past him. Jim gets up and completes like a 15-yard pass oh. for a first down. I mean, you tell me. You tell me, right? Oh. I mean, it was it was over. Yeah. So it goes into overtime. So again, the final, the final score of that game, I think, was 20 to 17. And there were six or seven scoring plays in that game. And up to overtime, all but one was scored with the win the last two times we had the ball in the fourth quarter we punted and the punts were like 20 yards they would go up and come right back down so the win was an absolute competitive factor in the game no question so they tie the game at at on the last play of the game literally zero 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 paul edinger kicks the field goal game's going into overtime captains go out there and the wind just getting stronger as the day goes on and we do win the toss marty takes the win and yeah there was a unique reaction to that okay but i contend sean i contend that that was not the wrong call that wasn't the wrong call okay and here's the rest of the story if you will so we kick off and the bears are marching downfield they have a third and eight on r35 going into the win, right? Incomplete pass. It's going to be fourth and eight. Holding on the on the Bears for some inexplicable reason, and I think I could say this, Marty, why'd you take the penalty? <laughs> so instead of it being fourth and eight from the 35, there is no way they're going to line up to kick a 52, 53-yard field goal into that wind. It, it, it's a no-brainer. He's going to punt the ball. Yeah. There's no question he's going to punt the ball, right? Marty, I think Dick Geron was the head coach of the Bears, actually. So they're going to punt the ball. And and some will say they saw the punt team coming onto the field for the Bears because they were convinced we're going to decline the penalty, make them punt, and then we're going to have the win, our offense. Um, but Marty took the penalty, 
pushing them back 10 yards. So now it's third down again in 18. Jim Miller hits a receiver for like 15 or 16 yards. So now it's fourth and two or three. Hey, let's go for it. They went for it. They got it. Two or three plays later, Edinger kicks the game winner. And to me, the mistake wasn't wasn't taking the wind. The mistake was not staying true to your conviction. Yeah. Be in the wind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're not going to kick a fifth. They're not going to attempt to, because we would have had the ball on the 43, where, wherever the kick was uh, missed from. Um, and then the other part of that, that aftermath of that game, I mean, you talk about, oh my gosh, what do we do now? We got, we got the, the national broadcast coming in on Thanksgiving, went right to the office and we started researching the PR staff and, and, and I'm telling you, Dan Reeves, Tom Landry, Bill Parcells, Hall of Fame coaches have taken the win before. Um, but it, it didn't seem to matter when we tried to yeah. present that argument because when you lose a game and you lose it in that fashion, um, it's hard to, to make a defense for that. But Marty wasn't the first, I'll, I'll say that. And to me, the mistake that he made was taking that penalty more so than taking the win. You know what? I'm going to bring his name up again. Uh, Killer. I was doing the post game show and Killer called in. We, you know, he was our correspondent and everything. And Bill is God is my witness. And I don't know if you guys ever had a conversation about this. He feels the exact same way that you did. And and I can, I can say, I don't remember that. He he, honestly, this is what he said to me, dude, dude, I'm here. Okay. You're in the (laughs) studio. You're warm. I'm here. Dude, I'm telling you, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. I can still hear it. I mean, oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. That that was the right, that was was. the right call because of like the conditions at that field that day. Yeah, it was. And and if you were there, you can understand it. It was just a non-conventional decision, but it had, if he had, you know, had the conviction to stay with the decision. Sure. Who knows what might have happened? But you, uh, you brought up an interesting point as we were talking because it's it's. I think a lot of Lion fans. Are, okay, who's the one team you get fired up for? You know, yeah. I'm going to say the Bears. Yeah. Uh, you know, my son's going to say the Packers. Maybe somebody right. plays the Vikings. But yeah. you brought up a good point when you ask the other teams in the division. Okay, and then even yeah. going back to the days of the Central. Yeah. You know, you you as you said, you ask the Bears, they're probably going to say the Packers. Yeah, the Packers are going to say the Bears. Maybe they say the Vikings. The Vikings yeah. are probably going to say the Packers. It's yeah. Nobody picks the Lions. Well, I think we understand that. You know, you got to earn that. You got to yeah. earn that. Now, in the in the the way back, <laughs> you know, the fifties and sixties, the Lions and the Packers. Sure. Holy mackerel! You talk yeah. about an epic rivalry. Um, I mean, we used to play the Packers every year on Thanksgiving until we kept until we kept beating them. And you know, the 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 story goes that Vince Lombardi went to the league and petitioned them um, after the the infamous 62 game when they were undefeated coming into tiger stadium and we had 11 sacks and just destroyed them. That was their only loss that year. And uh, 26 to 14, Roger Brown had six and a half sacks. Uh, God rest his soul. He just passed away recently. Mm. And uh, it was just one of those and, and talking to some of the players from that game, um, they, there was no love lost between the lines and the Packers and, and, and the game meant so much because Everybody knew the whole country was watching, yep. you know, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues throughout the league, your college teammates, high school teammates. So it's uh, it was a really special one. Great stuff. Uh, always yep. a pleasure to hear 
some stories from Bill Keenis. We've got some more before we get out of here. Talk a little college football as well. Yep. Don't you go anywhere. One more segment of the Gridiron Wrap. So glad you could join us. He's Bill Keenis. I'm Sean Belegian, and you're listening to 760 WJR. So we go to the break, and Bill mentions to me that he's got a story about Wayne Fonts and John Madden, and there's no way I'm letting him go to get away with not telling that. Uh, Bill, yeah. when you want to talk about personalities in this yeah. franchise or any place, Wayne Fonts had it. I mean, he just had it. Yeah. Uh, one of a kind. There's one no of other a kind. Way to say it. I think that's his middle name. I think it really is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, you you were talking. We were talking about Soldier Field and some of the memories, and one that I'll never forget. It was the '93 season, and we had to win three of our last four games that year to ultimately win the division, which we did. So we had, we had just, uh, we had beaten the Cardinals out in Arizona, then got blown out by the 49ers on a day that Steve Young and Jerry Rice, you know, put on a clinic. I don't think anybody could have beat them that day. So now we're going to Chicago and, and they're in the hunt. It's the day after Christmas, soldier field, weather, all that stuff. And so, we, we land, get to the hotel, and Wayne tells me he's not feeling well. And I go, what do you mean? I go, oh, I, I, I don't feel well. I got the flu. Or, you know, and he, he told me, he said, I, I can't do the production meeting. I go, Wayne, look, just come in for five minutes, okay? You need to talk to Madden and Summerall. We, we got to give them that courtesy. Uh, and they, they like you. They want to talk to you. So we we're staying, I think, at the Hyatt on Michigan Avenue and all the holiday lights are out, you know, on Michigan Avenue and in our room overlooks uh, all the festivities. And so we're waiting for Wayne. He comes in with an overcoat on a scarf. You know, he probably had Vicks and cough drops and, you know, you know, putting on the Ritz, Wayne. So he walks in and it's obviously he's not feeling very well. So. Uh, Madden goes, hey, what, what's wrong with you? He goes, oh, I got a flu. And John goes, oh, you need a hanger. And Wayne goes, what? Oh, you need a hanger, coach. I used to get them all the time. So what's a hanger? <laughs> so, so then the meeting becomes Wayne and John, and John telling it, it's it's an IV. You know, they get the hanger and they twist it around and, and put it over a you know some kind of pole rod. So Wayne, John goes, yeah, just get a hanger, you'll be fine. So, so that's, that changed everything. So we did the meeting, you know, Wayne went to the trainer, got a hanger that night, the next day in soldier field, I walk into his little office. There's an apparatus with a hanger. Wayne's getting another hanger before the game. And you know what? We won that game. Oh. Eric, Eric Lynch, remember Eric Lynch from yeah. Grand oh, Valley yeah. state. Barry was still hurt. Barry had gotten hurt on Thanksgiving that year. So Eric Lynch, I think he, he, I know he had over hundred yards. He probably carried the ball 30 times and we beat the bears in soldier field. Thanks in part to John Madden's hanger. Isn't that great? Oh, yeah. I love that stuff. Oh, yeah. he is one of a kind. Have you talked to Wayne? How's he doing? Uh, he's doing okay. I mean, he's getting up there in years, Yeah. Um, but he's still Wayne. Saw him the last time we played at Tampa toward the end of the 17 season. And he's still Wayne, one of a kind, one yeah. of a kind. There's no yeah, doubt. He's got to be happy about his Spartans. Yes. Uh, boy, yeah. what a segue. Are you a radio? How pro? about listen, that? <laughs> listen, Bill Keenis. Yeah. Get it done. Uh, yeah. yeah. Very quickly, in case you guys haven't heard it, the uh, latest rankings came up. The Spartans yeah. move all the way 
up to number 11 in both the AP and the coaches poll. And, Bill, get this, Michigan at nine in the AP and eight in the coaches poll. But you've got five Big Ten teams in the top 11 in both points. Isn't that amazing? Iowa three, Penn State. You're our Penn State insider. Ohio State at seven, (laughs) Michigan at eight and nine, and Michigan State at 11. Five teams in the top 11 for the Big Ten. Wow. That's all you can say is wow. And, um, you know, what what Coach Tucker has done at Michigan State is incredible. I mean, and the thing that I see with that team, and I think we also saw, saw some of that with the Wolverine Saturday, that team believes yep. there is a a connection that he's created with those players. And you need that. You need that, Sean. Um, every great team has that. It's, you know, it's a love for each other. It's a desire not to let your teammate down, your school down, your coaches down. And uh, you see that with the Spartans. And then the thing that I thought may have been one of the highlights of the of the weekend was when you know, up in Madison, they start playing jump around between the third and fourth quarter and no one's jumping around more than the Wolverines. Yeah. How awesome was that? And I don't know. And maybe, you know, was that orchestrated was, Hey, here's what we're going to do. Or did they just do it either way? It was awesome because you got to just imagine how those fans were, what are they doing? Yeah, they can't right? do that. Yeah. Yes, they can. <laughs> and uh, and then they win their first game in almost 20 years up there. I yeah, mean, I, I think they were exercising some demons. I really, absolutely. You know, they have been pounded a couple times by Wisconsin. Yep. I think they were exercising yep. some yep. demons. And, and, and what an impressive start Iowa's had. They're mm-hmm. sort of sneaking behind, you know, and, and wow, are they playing some good football. Some I really caught good. the second half of that game. I was yeah. in Marquette over the weekend, and we right. got in late, and I caught the – the second half of that game and, yeah. and they looked awesome. And Kirk Ferentz yeah. always has good teams. Yes. But it seems like, boy, Bill, it seems like every few years yeah. he has that team, you yeah. know, and this has the looks of that team. I yeah. want to go back to your comments about the Spartans. I had a chance to talk to Adam Rittenberg for the, uh, the, the Spartan pregame show. Right. And of course, Adam works for ESPN and he was yeah. specifically the big 10 and now he's national. And he said the exact same thing that you said uh, about Mel Tucker. He said, you can see how the guys believe in him. And he said, yeah. people nationally are talking about it. It's not just using the transfer wow. portal. It's getting some of the recruits yep. that he's able to bring no in. And uh, it's exciting times yep. here in the state. And Bill, I don't care yep. who you root for. And I, I make it no secret who yep. I root for. We all win when you have two darn good no teams. No question. No I, question. I'd rather see a strong Michigan no question. any day of the week. Yep. Now. I want to see that strong Michigan team lose, of course, but I'd rather see, <laughs> yeah. you know what? I, I want to see yeah. two good teams. We all win. Absolutely. And that's what makes a, a rivalry when, when you have two teams competing at the highest level against each other. And I, I always felt that uh, with respect to the Michigan Ohio state rivalry, I always felt when it was really humming along, which obviously it's taken some hits recently, but when I got here and, you know, you know, through the early two thousands, I always felt that obviously there's no team Michigan would rather beat than Ohio State, okay? But I also always felt that there's no team they would rather lose to, that they would would not want to lose to more than Michigan State, not Ohio State. I felt that there was something unique about Michigan, Michigan State. Michigan wanted to beat Ohio State in the worst way, but the team they didn't want to lose to 
was was Michigan State. You got and it. um and I, I think this year, you know, certainly having them both at the at the top of the mountain so far is uh is just wonderful. It's amazing the past twelve years I always yeah. use the term world turned upside down because it was yeah. a birthright. You just you beat yeah. Michigan State and, and yeah. that certainly hasn't been the case. No. Boy, time flies when you're having fun. Boy, it does. <laughs> it's always a play. You and I are yeah. both, I think, heading to the same place to watch yeah. uh the Patriots. Yeah, a little and, football. A yeah, little the football, Patriots right? and Tampa yeah. are going to be a little interesting tonight. Tomorrow night, so. of course. Yeah. Classic matchup, Raiders, Chargers as well. Bill, Amen. always a pleasure, man. Yes, sir. Look forward to chatting with you again next week. And Absolutely. we want to thank Jason Fischler as well for everything that he does back at the WGR studios. And most importantly, thank you most of all for tuning in. Uh, we're going to work on some guests and a few things in the next few weeks. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, we're always going to be talking football here. So glad you could join us. It's the gridiron wrap right here on 760 WJR. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone.